Hi, I'm Adrian Mabin, and this is I'm Also, the podcast about people with multiple careers, pursuits, and interests. My guest for this episode is cafe owner-operator Conrad Strachan. Conrad has spent a large chunk of his working life seeing the world and working in the hospitality industry, and he is now based in Tauranga, New Zealand. Kia ora, Conrad. Kia ora, Adrian. I guess, how long have you been in Tauranga? Ooh, it's going on to about four years now, and uh, yeah, loving every moment of it. And where were you before that? Auckland, yes, the big smoke. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> step up, step up. Let's just say uh, Auckland wasn't my original, uh, um, you know, uh, obviously location of obviously visiting and, and living. So uh, as I've uh, I spent a large chunk of my um, career all over the world. Yes. And... What, I guess, what are you doing in Tauranga now? I guess we'll... Yeah, no, that's a good place to start. So at the moment, I'm the uh, owner-operator of the Break Time Cafes based at Toy Ohomai. Yep, that's the Polytech for those who don't know what that is. And we've got a new name coming soon. And h- how are you finding that, I guess? I'm really enjoying it. I have to say, when I first took over, which is probably about no, a good five, six, seven months ago, um, I didn't know what to expect. I uh, spent uh, a couple of weeks uh, last year just to do a little bit of a trial and to see what the business is like. So the current owner was very gracious in allowing me to do that. And then, uh, yeah, sort of took the reins on the 1st of February this year. And honestly, um, it's, it's the people. It's really the people, the customers, you know, the students, the staff, the tutors that really make the, um, really set the culture for uh, the break time stores. And I must say, we've uh, met some uh, beautiful characters. Mm. Mm. And do you have a, a food philosophy? I do. Fresh is best. It really is. But it's interesting in um, the type of stores that we currently manage and operate. A large chunk of it is grocery or convenience food. My background is upmarket restaurants, cafes. So coming into the grocery space has been um, eye-opening. I mean, goodness, you know, having products that um, have a shelf life of a year is not something that I necessarily specialized in in my past life. But look you know it is it is good to see someone coming into the store and just say hi look i really absolutely love this brand and this product and could you guys get it in for me it's only one phone call away and uh, you know we we aim to please what are the challenges of trying to keep it fresh I think the supply chain is probably the biggest issue that we've had. And look, uh, I'm uh, not the only uh, owner operator or store operator out there um, singing this song. Look, uh, we'd sit down on a Friday as a team and basically talk about the following week and what to plan and what to serve on a daily basis. And you can have all the plan of the world, but if your product doesn't arrive, it just doesn't arrive. <laughs> so uh, you might get part of your delivery. And so what would happen is that uh, quickly have to pivot, think about something quite creative to, uh, to make. So we always have something on backup that we can serve. But look, it's really nice if you've got a plan for a Wednesday and it's going to be juicy burgers and can obviously deliver on that, then uh, the students absolutely love that. Mm. And you've got, I guess, price constraints. Yeah, that's been that's been a, a major. I mean, look, you know, we've absorbed quite a number of the supplier price rises since um, actually since November last year. The business has really just kept the prices the same. It's not until probably the last uh, three or four weeks that we found that quite untenable. And uh, where we basically looked in, at our four high margin products, coffee, fresh food, steamed buns, looking at our fries and basically went and said, um, look, we're actually not making margin on these products anymore. And so what does that look like on our forecast? So obviously as a business owner, you sit down 
down, you crunch the numbers, and then uh, you get the fright of your life. <laughs> but look, at the end of the day, you know, we've we've made those small changes, and the wonderful thing is, as um, tight as things are for our customers out there at the moment, because we do understand that with fuel and every other price rise that they're facing, just having that really great relationship with our customers has really helped us almost weather that storm a little bit. And people have been incredible just to keep supporting us. And maybe not affecting you, but just hospitality. Is, is staffing a problem? A lot of people are saying I can't get staff. Oh, goodness. I've been incredibly blessed. My team that I inherited when I purchased the business have been the most wonderful human beings, very loyal to the brand, very loyal to um, you know the previous owner, very loyal to the politic and, and, and their customers. So they have no plans of moving on, which is wonderful. But look, I do have friends in the industry and it is the, the sharks are circling around finding people because at the end of the day there are people around but are they competent in the area that you would like them to be competent in can they make great coffee do they have the customer service skills in order to uh, make sure that everyone who walks away from that till actually feels like they are important (laughs) so that is the challenge look you know there are those seasoned professionals in the hospitality industry that uh, tends to stick around but look the the grass is always greener over the fence and you know they do get lured by uh, desperate operators that uh, are in incredibly desperate for staff. So although that might be great for the wage side of things and hospitality, which I agree must climb, and, uh, as it's been quite stagnant for so many years, that certainly creates a massive hole in um, these established hospitality businesses. So what do you think going forward hospitality is going to be looking like in a couple of years? Is it- yeah, that is a that is a, look uh, fairly positive in the sense that look the borders are opening, visas are being approved, but uh, look at the speed of factors. We're not looking at 2022 or this side of 2023 that there'll be some improvement. I think, but look, you know, we are also banking on 2023 as a business. 2022 has been really hard. Omicron um, left quite a hole in our EBITDA for the start of this year or the first quarter, so. So, um, look, we're just battening down the hatches and saying, look, 2023 is the year that we're looking forward to. And we've sort of uh, thrown uh, the uh, budget out the door. Yeah. <laughs> as you do. People, yeah. <laughs> and I guess all the tourists will be back as well as a, for the countrywide. It was holding off a lot of them. Um, That'll be incredible. And the backpackers are coming back. 100%. Yeah, yeah that's huge. Because you don't realize, you know, those uh, small business, family-owned businesses that are on the corner and below are backpackers and so on and how they've been affected. I mean, a, a great way to uh, describe what really is happening out there is that we receive a fortnightly delivery from our largest beverage supplier. And, uh, you know, we grab the clipboard and uh, we usually sign our, you know, next to uh, break time and say thank you for our delivery. And the first thing I do is that I pay through that clipboard to see where are my friends that are ordering <laughs> from uh, different stores and what that looks like. Usually that clipboard is about three or four pages long. Our recent delivery that we've had was one page. So look, that sort of just told me straight away that things are incredibly tight out there, especially for the central city businesses. Yeah. Especially if you've got ro- you're in Queen Street and you've got roadworks outside your shop or something as well, or in Auckland. 
Incredibly challenging. Yeah. yeah. I mean, goodness, you know, we were, well, I was still in Auckland, the rail network and the, you know, light rail network sort of started its, uh, started its construction and uh, a few of my friends went out of business through that. And, and look, that was incredibly uh, challenging for them. And, you know, we ended up employing a few of those people, you know, that been business owners for 12 years. Uh, and fortunately, we were in more of an upmarket suburban restaurant at that time that, that I was managing. It was just uh, heartbreaking to yeah. see them uh, come over and then, uh, you know, be a waiter just to tie them over. Well, um, let me look at some other stuff. I was just looking at your LinkedIn profile before and I was going school and it said, um, I couldn't even pronounce it, Dransberg Boys Choir School. <laughs> I don't know why that is actually on there, but look, uh, it's, it's an incredible school. Um, uh, a little bit of a backstory on that, the Drakensberg Boys Choir School. So obviously I'm South African born and bred from Pretoria, which is uh, capital city, inland, mainland. And basically, uh, yeah, one day at the age of 12, my dad said, hey, look, uh, do you want to come on a little road trip with me? I've got a little bit of business in Lesotho, which is right in the heart of the Drakensberg Mountain range and I thought oh look you know that'll be fun sounds like so it's a bit of school holidays for me and be a nice little road trip with dad and uh, on this Wednesday he said hey look uh, there's this local choir it's a choir school um, so the quite difference is that you have most schools with a choir mm. but this is a choir school so it is uh, you know you have your eight music subjects and then you've got your eight academic subjects so music is very much the focus and uh, I said who? <laughs> Who's this school? <laughs> and he says no no they've, they're world renowned. Dad said look let's just go see the Wednesday afternoon concert because in its auditorium there's a Wednesday afternoon concert every week so we went to go see the choir and I was just absolutely blown away. I could not believe that the harmonies just the, the whole performance absolutely blew my mind and I mean I wasn't interested in music whatsoever I, I played rugby like every good South African schoolboy should. Yeah, look, my dad just said uh, at the end of the concert, they announced, well, any boys between the age of 11 and uh, 13 would like to audition for uh, to join the school. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be auditions uh, after the concert. And my dad, uh, not the kind of man that you say no to, said, Conrad, uh, you will audition. Wow. And I said, excuse me? Wow. <laughs> I was very, I just became a prefect in my primary school, you know, wow. just became a leader. And I thought, no, this is going to be, this, this, is, this is the worst decision in the world. And I can't sing. And <laughs> so my dad says, no, 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 I've heard you sing. Yes, I could, dad, I sing in the shower, you know, and, and, uh, and it's, it would be nothing special. And anyway, I went for my audition and the, the choir master said, look, we don't want young Pavarotti's. We, we want uh, boys that we can train because uh, singing, it's a muscle. And mm -hmm. you just need to need, just need to practice, and so uh, that was the Wednesday. The following Monday, I was enrolled at the school for my first day, six and a half hours away from home, wow. full border, and so I didn't know what just hit me, and it ended up being the best three and a half years of my life. Oh wow! It's an incredible school, private school. It, there's a river running past the school. It's right in the. It's called Champagne Valley. It's in the heart of the Drakensberg Mountain Range, with the school in the middle of nowhere. And you get to tour internationally every year. I mean, we toured Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Turkey, all over the world. And we'd go sing. I'd never forget in. In uh, 1999, when uh, there was a huge earthquake in Turkey and especially Izmir, you know, we landed in Istanbul and then we drove, oh, oh goodness, I think it was about seven hours to Izmir. And in that seven hour trip, we had to learn a Turkish song. 
a song in Turkish, which is incredibly challenging. Just over and over again, by the end of the trip, by the end of the bus trip, we knew that song off by heart. I actually even know it today. <laughs> you just don't get it out of your head. And so, uh, yeah, we, we sang to uh, all the victims of the, the earthquake and it was one of the most moving experiences wow. of my life. <laughs> so you still still sing? Oh, no, I just sing to my kids. <laughs> yeah, no, I just sing to my kids. I sing them these African songs um, uh, when, when they go to bed and they always ask for them, which is pretty sweet and uh, and they even know them now as yeah. well which is pretty cool but no I, I've stopped singing and I actually can play the clarinet as well which is part of the instruments we've had to take so what do you do to unwind after a busy day of cafe life I, I bike home <laughs> <laughs> so yeah now look I sold my car probably a couple of months ago well three months ago now actually just when the fuel price went absolutely through the roof and I thought look I can do this I can we can be a one car family I have four kids and we can be a one car family surely I just get an e-bike and it'll be fine <laughs> um, yeah obviously making that decision in the heart of winter which is which is interesting but it's it's amazing I just put put my headphones in and bike home and, and in actual fact listen to a Tony Robbins podcast probably by the end of the last year and one of the things he said for us is, as you know men finishing finishing work the best thing you can do is to be present do something that, that forces you to be present because by the time you get home you're still in work mode and my wife knows she just looks at me and she goes you're still in work mode <laughs> the way I speak to the kids you know oh boy yeah come on let's do this clean this do that do that and just you know, rather than just being present and, you know, just being part of the home environment, best thing you can do is just do something that's present. And actually, one of those things is biking, is riding a bike, because you can't not be present because uh, there's there's a few obstacles it's in your dangerous. way. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to be present. Yeah. That's right. And, and that's one of the best things you can do. So uh, it's a great way to unwind and, of course, putting the earphones in and just listening to good music. Tauranga City Council will be very happy to hear this. <laughs> Okay, well, might as well, uh, anything else you want to sort of cover off maybe in the hospitality? I think uh, if there's uh, ever any compulsory service uh, that New Zealand might ever consider, I think it should be hospitality. I think every person, um, you know, should carry some trays in a restaurant or, uh, you know, run some food to tables. And it's just a couple of skills that you pick up in uh, the industry that you could uh, transfer to absolutely everything. I mean, just the the patience that you learn. Um, I mean, just think about serving tables. Uh, in a normal section of serving tables as a waiter, you have seven different tables. And that also means that you have 14 different personalities, if there was tables or two, that you can deal with and interact with on a, on a you know, shiftly basis. And so uh, it's amazing what you pick up, you know, and you also grow in love for people. I think we tend to, uh, as hospitality staff, you stop being very critical of people because you just realize that everyone is incredibly unique. But you're saying incredibly dumb, but <laughs> <laughs> was that you, you read between the lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done it even before. Uh, and maybe just lastly, is there a, a coffee of choice that I should be in, I should be purchasing now to impress people? Is there a? I, th I think you. I think you should. I think you what's, should. What's the go-to coffee? For, um... <laughs> so there's something that we uh, we we didn't invent, but I feel like we we did. Basically called. If you're a long black drinker, it's called a steamed black, and basically it's a little life changing because if you've drunk a long black your entire life, which is basically in scorching hot burning coffee uh, with with your double shot of espresso and your boiling hot water. 
what you should do is just, uh, if there's a barista out there listening, but just basically pour a double shot of coffee into a, um, a steamed jug. Steam that with cold water until it reaches 65 degrees and then pour it into, into your cup. And basically what you have is a black coffee that has the texture of a flat white. It is creamy, it's smooth, and yet you don't have burnt coffee. It's the best way to have a long black but still have that texture of a flat white. And unfortunately, we can't credit that. I credited it to a very famous barista based in New York, uh, but we just saw it and uh, someone recommended it to us and we thought, oh, let's give this a go. It is uh, something quite special. And that's probably a good spot. What to finish on. I'll order one of those tomorrow. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Conrad. That was great. Such a pleasure, Adrian. Thank you.